0: The idea with that is that we we talk about God, we, we maybe know God, and we live our lives. All of us live life, I think, and we don't always know how God and life intersect, how God and life connect. What does God actually have to do with my life? How does God actually make a difference in my life? Both at the small nitty-gritty details, but also the big grand scheme of things. And so as we're doing that, we're looking at a book in the Bible called 1 John. And, and that's a book that is written by a man named John. And it's, uh, it's this letter that he writes to a church to to help them really answer those questions of how God and life connect in our life. And this is what John said last week. John said to this church, he said, God is after your joy. And so what he does is he gives you the best thing he can think of. He gives you himself. So God wants your joy. He wants joy in your life, complete joy. And so he gives you relationship with himself. So that's what we talked about last week. And yet, yet, what we're going to look at this week is... If you live your life, you know it's not just filled with joy left and right. You know that, man, sometimes if God's after my joy, why is it that I don't just feel tons of joy in my relationship with God? Why don't I always feel that? And maybe maybe it's not even directly connected to your relationship with God. You might think maybe you just look at your life and say, sometimes I'm just bored or there's apathy or complacency or... Maybe I just feel a a discontentment or a dissatisfaction or a displeasure. But but we don't necessarily feel this complete joy that John says is available to us. And John says that if we want to experience that joy, that there's three things that we need to know. We need to know who God is. We need to know who we are. And we need to know who God is in response to who we are. So we're going to look at those three things. Wow, this stand is... uh, Made from midgets, but um, we're going to look at those three things. And as we do, we'll look at John's next part in the letter here. So here's what John says. He says, and this is 1 John verse 5, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie... If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, John's a pastor, he cares for these people in the church. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, we'll talk about that word a little later, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So the first thing that John says we need to know is who is God. And what John says about God is that God is light. That God is light. So John says the first thing you need to know is who God is. And we talked about that last week. That everything in our life flows out of what we believe about God. That every decision you make, every emotion you feel, every action you take, it all flows out of what do you believe about God. And John says, what we need to know about God is, God is light, which means that God is holy, that he is all truth, that there's no darkness in him at all, John says, which means this, it means that God cannot stand deceit, that he cannot be around any dishonesty or any lies, that God cannot be around sin, that there's no darkness in God at all, that he's completely opposed to sin. That he doesn't turn the other way to sin. That he doesn't look the other way. That he doesn't just let things go. That God is light. He's all truth. He's all holiness. There can't be any darkness in him at all. So it's not just, what is your conception of God? Or who do you think God is? Or who do you want God to be? But John says, who God is is where we start. And God is light. That he's holy. That he's truth. And he's opposed all sin. And he can't be near. He can't be in relationship with sin. There's no darkness in him at all. It can't coexist. So that's the first thing that John says for us. Then John's going to tell us who we are. He's going to tell us who we are. See John says first we have to know who God is and then we have to know who we are. So who are we? That's the next question that John has for us. Who are you? And what John's going to say as we look through this letter is Is three things okay? The first is that, well, I'll I'll, I'll hold off and I'll tell you in a minute. But John says that we have these ways that we deceive ourselves. He he'll use words like, "We're self-deceived," "We're liars," "We live in darkness." And he'll say, if we claim that, if we claim that, if we claim that. And all of this surrounds this big idea that John says, that we live in a kind of self-deception where we don't really see the depth of our sin. We don't really see the depth of it. That John says that we, in the church, and, that, and that's just a, a reminder, John's not just writing this letter to some random people. He's not just kind of posting it as an open letter on the internet or posting it on Reddit. Or I mean, this is, a, this is something John is saying in the church, that in the church there's self-deception, that in the church there's lies that we tell ourselves. And he's saying he wants to help the church see that underneath all of this self-deception, there's this idea that we don't see the depth of our sin. And he's going to give us three different claims that we make and you saw it in there as we read it, where he says, if we say that, if we say that, three different claims that we make about our lives, three different lies that we tell ourselves and three responses that we have to sin. So the first one is this, the first lie that we tell ourselves, or the first response that we have to sin, the first one is this, we, we just do it, we sin. And the lie he says is that we claim to have fellowship with God, but we walk in darkness, and what John says about sin here when he calls it darkness is that it's an entire outlook that we have on life, that it's not just particular actions that we do, particular things we do, but it's an entire outlook. And he says it's a natural condition to not see the depth of your sin, to not see the depth of your sin because we're in darkness. It's a, it's a blindness that we have. And sociologists, sociologists will tell you this as well. They'll say that you don't really see your own faults. I remember studying this in school, and and one of the things, the examples that that they used was this, that let's say you're, you're driving, okay, and maybe you're late to work, and so you're speeding, and maybe you cut somebody off, or whatever else we do when we drive bad, maybe you uh, you're in the middle of the intersection and then the light turns red and these guys on the side are honking at you and you're stuck in the middle of the intersection or maybe you bump into somebody and get in a fender bender or whatever might happen. You run through a red light, all the different things that we do. And what, what will you say if that happens? Well, this is what you'll say. You'll say, man, I'm, I'm running late or man, my boss is going to kill me. I got to get there on time or I didn't see that guy. He kind yeah, I cut him off, but I didn't see him or I thought the light was going to turn green. I thought I was going to make it. I thought I had enough time. We'll give kind of circumstantial excuses. But what happens if somebody else cuts you off? Or what happens if somebody's in the middle of the intersection and you're the one on the side honking the horn? What do we say? Don't you know how to drive? What kind of an idiot are you? You are the dumbest person that ever existed. I mean, we, we, we make personal judgments on other... I, don't, I mean, I don't do those things, but I've heard some of you tell me that you do those things. That's how I know that. But we make personal judgments on other people. We give ourselves kind of the benefit of the doubt and make it circumstantial, but for other people, we make personal judgments. We don't see our own faults. Or on the other side of things, let's say somebody at work gets a promotion that maybe you wanted. What do you say? Well, yeah. Right place, right time. Right place, right time. Or, well, yeah, I mean, you know, if I would have gotten that position in the reorg when they changed everything up, then I probably would have got a promotion too. Or, or I mean, we, we make circumstantial excuses for people's positives. But for ourselves, if we get a promotion, what do we say? Pff, look at me. Of course. You know how hard I work? You know the kind of person I am? Of course I got a promotion. So we don't see our own faults. We're blind. Sin is darkness. It's not just particular actions. It's this whole outlook, this whole darkness. And John says that there's people in the church that make a claim. I know God. I have a relationship with God. I, 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 I go to church. I know the Bible. I, 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 I hang out with other people that are Christians. I have a relationship with God. And yet John says they, they don't see. They walk in darkness. That, that if they're living in continual sin if they're living in habitual sin, he calls them a liar. And I know that, I'm glad he said it and not me, because I I mean, that that seems harsh to say that to somebody. To say, oh, hi, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian? Oh, that's great. You're a liar. I mean, that, that seems like a harsh thing to say to somebody. And people would probably say to John, and remember, he's writing this to people in the church. People would say to John, John, you don't know me, man. Like, Come on, I've, I've grown up in the church my whole life. I, I read the Bible, I'm here on Sundays, I help. And, and he says, You're, you don't know God. John, who, who are you to judge? You can't judge me, only God can judge me. And John says, no, your, your life judges you. Your life judges you. And John says, you don't practice the truth. You don't practice the truth. And here's what John is saying. He's saying that truth is, if it really hits your heart, changes you. That you cannot have truth be believed and hit your heart and not change. That if you meet God, that if you meet Jesus, you cannot change, you cannot be the same. He's not saying there won't ever be sin in your life, but if you're walking in darkness and saying, yes, I, I live in darkness, I live in sin, and yet sometimes we don't even see that because it is darkness. I live here, but God is light he says that's, it's false. And a lot of times we'll even say something like this. Well, I know it in my head, but I don't know it in my heart. And let me just tell you that's bogus, okay? Because, sorry to use strong language. I know this is a family show here. Uh, let's say that you get pulled over by a police officer. He pulls you over and he says, hey, do you, do you know that you were speeding? And you say, well, yes, officer. I know it in my head, but I don't know it in my heart. He's not going to say, oh, well, in that case, please keep on going. He's going to say, I'm going to write you a ticket for speeding and one for being stupid. That's what he's going to say. Because let me tell you this, okay? If you know something, if you say you know something in your head but not in your heart, there's only there's only one of two options, okay? Either you don't actually know it. You didn't actually know you were speeding. Maybe you just kind of claim you know it, but you don't actually know it. Or the second option is you know it and you're rebelling, which is... The case for most of us when we're speeding. We know what the speed limit is, but we just do it anyway. So to say, I know it in my head, but not in my heart. What we're saying is, I I know it, I I believe it, but it doesn't actually affect me. It doesn't actually change anything. I know that God cares for me, but ah, I don't really feel he cares for me. You know, I'm still anxious all the time. Or I I know that God says this, but I'm actually, you know, I don't feel that he says this. So I'm going to do what I want anyway. Well, we don't really know it. John says, for those that say you know truth, but you don't practice truth, you, you don't really know God. And I know that's, again, I know that's a harsh statement to make, but blame John. He's the one, he's the one that said it, this guy, man. Um, so that's the first thing that he says. That's the first thing he says. That's the first lie that we believe, that we claim to be a Christian, and yet we live in darkness. We just do it, okay? That's our first response to sin. So who is God in response to that? Who's God in response to who we are? Well, he gives community and he cleanses. He gives community and he cleanses. Because here's what it said. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So let's look at that first part, that he gives us community. Because it's kind of interesting how he puts that. Because he doesn't say, but if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with him. He could have said that, and that's true. But he says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We get community. See, what, this is what walking in the light means. Walking in the light, because we talked about God. God is light, means he's holy, he's truth. To walk in the light means that you accept God's declaration of who you are. It means that you accept his truth about you that you accept his holiness and, and the way that he speaks about you, that you accept that. So sometimes people talk about walk in the light, meaning that they're open and honest with their lives. Well, it's a similar idea because what it means is that you're accepting God's declaration of you, God's truth about you. Now, many of us are scared to let others know us. We're scared to really be known by people, to really show people this is who I am. Here's my heart. Here's what God says about me. Here's who I am in light of God's holiness. Here's who I am in light of God's truth. Many of us are are scared to have other people really see who we are. Because we think if people knew us, they'd reject us. They'd turn away from us. They'd walk away from us. If they really saw the parts in our heart where God's light shines in, His holiness shines in, and who we are in comparison to that, we think that people would walk away from us. But here's what John says. He says, if we walk in the light if we accept God's revealed truth about who we are, we actually get tighter, closer community. And don't you know this? Haven't you seen this? I mean, if you, if you really share yourself with somebody else, if you share a sin or you share areas where you're struggling or you share hurts or you share sorrows with other people, most people don't go, oh my gosh, oh, please don't say any more, you're repulsive. I mean, most people don't do that. If they do, that says more about them than than you. Most people, what happens? You feel drawn towards them if somebody shares that with you. It's almost like a magnet that just pulls you in when people are open and honest and vulnerable and transparent. We use all those words, authentic, to show the power that that has. There was a TED talk a while ago, I don't know if any of you listened to those, but about the power of vulnerability. It's one of the most watched videos on there and talks about this. That when you show your heart to somebody else, when you show who God says you are, all the parts, when you really let people see you in light of God's light, then what happens is it actually builds community. It builds community. And then the second thing that John says it does is it cleanses us. It says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And the blood of Jesus, that phrase, we'll talk about that a little later, but it's, that, that refers to what Jesus did on the cross, his blood shed on the cross. And he says it cleanses us from all sin. And I almost just want to stay on that word, all, and just spend the whole rest of our time together talking about that. The word all is completely encompassing. See, some of you think Here's, here's the deal, okay? As a pastor, what it's been said for pastors is that my job as a, as a preacher is to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. So part of what that means is for some of you, it's to take a scalpel as a surgeon and be gentle, but to afflict you if you're comfortable. And for some of you, it's to comfort you where you're afflicted. In this verse here, that Jesus is a cleanser of all sin, I want you to hear this right now because I don't know all the areas in your life, okay? But I know from doing this for long enough that many of you need to hear this, that the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And some of you think that what you've done, that his blood doesn't have power to touch, okay? That his blood doesn't have the power to touch all of your sin that when you did it or how you did it or how recently you did it or the way that you did it, that the blood doesn't have power to touch that, that it can't cleanse, that it can't change, that it can't make you new. But John says, all sin, that the blood of Jesus cleanses from all your sin, all of it. I want you just to, to, th- to everything in your hands, That the words all are just written here and just pours on top of there, all of your sin. That it cleanses all of it. That even the ones right now that may be in your mind are saying, well, not those ones. All of it. All of it. See, we believe sometimes, well, he can't touch this. This one. Not this one. Not the way I did that. All sin. If you believe that, that's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. That's not what he says. He says, all sin. All of it. So I want you to hear that. That the blood of Jesus cleanses from all of your sin. All of it. But John says that some people tell themselves, I'm okay. I'm okay. And they, they lie. And because of that, they miss out on this great gift of community. And they miss out on the power of that cleansing. And they continue to walk in darkness. So the first thing, the first lie that we believe about sin is, oh, yeah, we can just do it. Our first response to sin, I'm just going to do it. And yeah, oh, yeah, I know God. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. The second response, the second lie we have is that we devalue sin. And we say the lie, I have no sin. Okay, and the way that John says this, I have no sin. Later later in in the passage, he says, I have not sinned. But that's different than this. This is, I have no sin. And the way he says that, he's teaching us here that sin is a condition. It's not just particular acts. It's not just particular things that we do or don't do. The Bible teaches that we have a sinful nature. That we have this whole disposition, this whole condition that is sinful. And what that is, is that we're centered on ourselves instead of being centered on God. That we have this whole condition of of sin, which is self centeredness. And even in our culture, that's a good thing. That we have all these words, and I'm not saying all of these are bad, but we have all these words where we talk about self confidence and self dependence and self reliance and self esteem and self assurance and self, 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 self. And we're told that's a good thing. Focus on yourself. But we have this whole condition of sinfulness that is about self-centeredness versus God-centeredness. And remember, he's writing these to people in the church that are Christians or claim to be Christians. So often this person here is somebody that's a Christian. Maybe they've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe they've lived their life as a Christian for a long time. And they're not doing all the particular acts that you would consider sinful. They're not doing the things on this list, and they are doing the things on this list, but they would look at their life, and, and they would say, that, I mean, if you ask them, they would say, yeah, I'm a sinner. But they don't feel the weight of their sin. They don't see the depth of their sin because they say, yeah, I don't have this condition of sin that you're, that you're talking about. I don't have that. But they go about their life where you, where you work, where you where you play, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you do on Wednesday, Thursday, the way you make choices, the way you make decisions, who you hang out with, who you don't hang out with, the way that you eat, the way that you drink. I mean, every everything, all of it is, what do I want? What do I want? What do I want to do? What makes me comfortable? What brings me happiness? What brings me security? What, what do I want? It's about self instead of a a god-centered standpoint of what does god want what would it mean to enjoy god more how could i structure my life to to enjoy a deeper relationship with god but that we make choices even if they're if they're good choices seemingly they're not on the naughty list or the nice list they're just kind of normal life we we don't live life in this place of god-centeredness and we we devalue sin by doing that of thinking it's just these particular acts it's just these particular things that that we could do, particular choices, acts of of the will. But John says that it's this whole condition of being centered on ourselves and not centered on God. But, if you ask any Christian at any time, they should be able to tell you, here's where I sin in my life. You should be able to go up to any Christian and say, where do you sin? Now, I'm I'm not saying... That's like where you start. Our greeters at the door don't say, "Hi, welcome to True Life." Where do you sin? Or in the meet and greet, you know, people don't stand up and say, "Where do you sin?" And don't don't use that as like your opening line. But but you should be able to go up to anybody, anybody at any time and ask that question. And and we should be able to know, to be able to see that, to to be able to know in our lives. But but if you think sin is just these particular acts, then you won't you won't feel the power of that. You won't see that. There's a self-centered approach that we take to even the good things in life. But John says we self-deceive ourselves. We're not deceived and tricked by someone else, but that if we say, if the the person that says, I have no sin, he says, is self-deceived. Which means this, we're talking to ourselves. We're telling ourselves, no, it's okay. We say things like, it's not that big of a deal. Or it's a gray area, or uh, you know it was it, it was a long time ago, or it's not you know it's it's nobody's perfect, or sometimes we 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 make ourselves the victim. Have you ever said something like this? You make me so angry, or you make me frustrated, or or even you hurt me. But we're making ourselves a victim. We're saying that somebody else has the power to do that to us. Somebody else has the power to make you angry. No, they don't. You have the choice to respond. Or circumstantially, it's not always interpersonally. Sometimes it's just, man, this traffic is driving me crazy. Really? The traffic is making you crazy. It's driving you crazy. That gives a lot of power to a circumstance. But circumstances do not... They do not create what's in your heart. They only reveal what's in your heart. But John says we're self-deceived. We don't see sin. We so much try to hide and, and run from the depth of our sin that we'll do whatever we can to get out of it. And it's self-deception. It's self-deception. And maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for a while. And if I were to talk with you, you would say, you know, I, I know I had sin in my past. I know I had sin in my past, but... I don't see it right now. That, I mean, that's indicative of this. Or maybe if we talked, you would say, "No, I, I know I have sin. I know I have sin. I know that." And yet, what happens if you ever get rebuked? What happens if someone ever calls out an area in your life? Do you go, "Yeah, I agree with you," or do you immediately defend? If you have a if you have a spouse and they say, "Hey, you're doing this wrong," or "Hey, you 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 sinned against me in this way," or you, I mean, do you? immediately defend and say no you don't know what you're talking about or you made me do this or that's because you did this or you want to say that about me what do I have to say about you we can open the list let's go or even in a sermon even right now i mean you can be going whatever that's not true whatever and you got gloves on i mean you're you got your inner rocky just ready to go whether to block or to, or to jab or you got, you got Rocky living in your heart and he's just helping you out, blocking and ducking and jabbing and floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee. That's not Rocky, that's Muhammad Ali. But I think I just rhymed there. we got, we got something going on here. <coughs> Cue the bass. Um, but you're, you're, you're ready to defend. You're ready to fight. Any Anytime someone wants to point out to you that sin word, you're ready to fight. You're ready to block, duck, jab, twist, and move. You're ready to do it all. You look professional. We should see you on ESPN. I mean, it, it looks good. And we, we self-deceive. We say we have no sin. Or maybe, maybe sometimes you might say, yeah, I've got sin. But you only talk about it generically. It's always, yeah, I struggle with pride or anxiety all these big topics are control or perfectionism, but it's never the particulars. I think I'm better than people at my job. Or I think I'm better than you. Or, man, I do not trust you, God. We, we talk about these big generic things. Or we'll show our respectable stuff, our respectable sin. Yeah, I'm a sinner with these things. It's like in a job you know, interview when they ask you, what are your weaknesses? I'm too hard of a worker. I show up too much on time. I'm like the Swiss, you know? it's like, what? Aren't they timely? <laughs> they made watches or something, right? <clears throat> or you know you're a sinner, but only like, like you know you're a U.S. citizen. Like when's the last time you thought about the fact, I'm a U.S. citizen? Maybe some of you are more patriotic than me, but probably, I mean, maybe, every day you don't. I stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance. I mean, but I mean, you're, you're a U.S. citizen, I, most of you, I think. Um, but do you, do you always think about that? No. You would admit, yeah, it's a reality, but it, it's not an ever-present, changing, shaping reality that you feel. And if you really saw that you have sin, a condition of self-centeredness, you'd repent. You would change. There'd be growth. Okay, so who's God in response to that? It's beautiful. He's a forgiver. He's a forgiver. John says this, If we confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's that word again, all. See, what John says is that if we confess our sins, God will forgive us. And this is the good news. The good news is forgiveness. What the world wants to tell you the good news is, is you're not that bad. You're a good person underneath there. It's okay. Or sometimes it's, it's just self-assuring to you. You're, you're not that bad. You're okay. Yeah, I mean, we all do these things, but I know underneath there, underneath your inner child. I know it's beautiful. No, your inner child needs a spanking. Okay? You're, but, but we, we self-assure we say, no, you're not that bad, or or maybe we move away from the person and it's it's gonna get better, things, things will get better. That's in the past, let's just move on. Or here's some tips and some tricks and some things you can do. Here's some stuff that can happen, but all of it avoids forgiveness. And we know, because we've probably heard some of that stuff from friends or relatives, or you've told it to yourself, or you've listened to it on Dr. Phil or Oprah or wherever it might be, and, and you've 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 heard this stuff. And maybe you've even tried to live that way, but you know it's shallow. You know, because you know. John says we're self-deceived. So underneath, 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 we really know, man, I need something more than, no, you really are. You have a good heart. I need something more than that. Yeah, we need forgiveness. We need to come face to face and own the depth of our sin. That way we can actually be forgiven. But, John says, if you confess your sin, you receive forgiveness. But here's the problem. We don't confess. We don't confess. Let me just take a kind of excursus for a moment and talk about confession. Because here's what we do instead of confess. We come up with all these other things. We tell ourselves these things, okay? So instead of confessing, we'll tell ourselves, no one needs to know. No one needs to know about this, whether this is to God or to another person that you've sinned against. No one needs to know about this. Put the nails in the coffin, it's going with me to the grave. No one needs to know. Or, it was just once. Often those two are related. It was just once, so no one needs to know. It's just once, can't we just move on? Can't we just keep going? Why this confession stuff, John? If we confess our sins, ah, it's just once, no one needs to know about it. It was a long time ago. Do you really want me to drudge up the past and open up old wounds and tear open the scab? It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It was just once no one needs to know. You can combine them, you can do a combo with your rocky moves. I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. Let's just keep going forward. I'll never do it again. No need for confession. I'll never do it again. If I confess, nothing's going to change. Maybe we say that from another person or to God. If I confess to God and have this big old hash out session with God, or if I tell that person, nothing's going to change. Or things will be worse. They will change, actually. They're going to get worse. Or we give, we give our sin pet names so it doesn't seem so bad. We don't call sin the way God calls it. So we say even something like, you know, a common word is I had an affair instead of what the Bible says is adultery. Like, let's give it the names the Bible uses instead of trying to tame things. Or, uh maybe I drink a little too much. No, the Bible calls it drunkenness. Or, uh, you know, maybe I kind of raise my voice sometimes. No, you're harsh and you yell. You're abusive. Or we polish it. Those two are kind of related, but we polish it. Have you ever said something like this? I'm sorry I wasn't super honest with you. Is that like a new superhero character? Like, are we going to see a movie with Iron Man and and, and super honest? I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I I wasn't very nice. No, you're a liar and you're a jerk. Instead of saying, I'm sorry I wasn't super honest or I'm sorry I wasn't very nice, we just try to polish it because we don't want to see the depth of our sin. We want to tell ourselves we're okay. Or we think I'm the good guy. It's the boss's fault. It's the traffic's fault. It's the world's fault. It's the government's fault. I'm the good guy. Or this one. We say, I'm sorry. Wait, why is that on the list? Have any of you ever said I'm sorry before? Look, sorry is for bumping into somebody. Sorry is for stepping on someone's toe. Sorry is for spilling your milk. But sorry, all that, I mean, all that means literally is I have sorrow. I have sorrow. So what? That's just an objective statement of the facts. It's like I, I wear Old Spice, I've got white socks on, and I have sorrow. Okay, thank you for the information, but that there's, no, there's no transaction there. There's no relational interaction of, will you forgive me? I sinned against you. I did this. There's, it's just, I'm sorry. I just have this general condition I'd like you to know about. Thank you very much. That means nothing. Or we tell half-truths. Maybe it's uh, hey, that woman at the office, she she was flirting with me again today, and you maybe confess that, but not the part of I swung by her desk, that way she would flirt with me. Or we do this. I I I agree. I agree with what you're saying. Maybe even right now. And sometimes this happens in personal conversations. And we just have a stone cold face. We're bringing back stone cold Steve Austin. And it's just, I agree. Sometimes it's not even words. It's just, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We just put up this barrier. Instead of actually changing, repenting, confessing, it's just, sure, I agree with that. Or I understand is another one. So I've got clarity about it. Yeah, I get that. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, man, I'm I'm all over the board on here. I, I understand, I've got clarity, but there's still no confession. All of these are ways to avoid confession. Here's another one. This is really common in the church. I'll stop. I'll stop. Okay, so let's say you let's say you understand that that in your life things aren't going well, and you want comfort, so you start drinking too much, or you start eating too much. And you know every time things aren't going right, I go to food or I go to alcohol or I go to these different things. And I know I shouldn't be doing that. I'll stop. But there's still no confession. All of these are still ways to avoid confession, which means they're ways to avoid God. They're ways to avoid actually having a conversation. They're ways to avoid relationships. Even some of them that sound good, like, I'm sorry, I agree, I understand, I'll stop. I mean, all of those things, all of those things are just ways to avoid God. So, what does it mean to confess? What does it mean to confess? Because John says, if you confess, he's faithful and just, and he forgives. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. He forgives. Like, if you found yourself all over the board, and you said, How, did you read my diary I mean, I don't, do people have diaries anymore? Did you read my blog? God knows all that. God knows all of that. And if we confess to him, he forgives. And so what it means to confess is this. It means we agree with God. We agree with God. We step into the light of his truth, his holiness in light of who we are, and we agree with him. And we have a conversation with him. And we agree with who God says we are. And we agree with what God says about our life. It's not because he doesn't know. He already knows. But it's so we can have a conversation. It's, you're not telling God something new. Confession is not, if, if it's on an interpersonal level, then yes, it's telling some, someone sometimes something they don't know. But with God, you're not giving him new information. He didn't say, "Wait, that, that wait, you're telling me that wasn't water? I thought that was water. That was, oh, things begin to make sense now. Now I understand the lampshade. I'm, I'm getting it. I mean, God already knows. That wasn't your wife on the computer? Are you, are you kidding? God already knows, okay? You're not giving him new information. But it's a conversation we have to come into agreement with him about our lives. That's what it means to confess, And let me tell you this, this is the crux of everything I'm saying. The crux of all of this, the heart of everything that John is saying is this, that if you want to embrace God, you have to embrace your sin. If you want to embrace God, you have to embrace your sin. To to embrace God, you've got to first embrace your sin. See, we think it's the opposite. We think that Man, if I, want, if I want to be in relationship with God and have a good connection with God or, or other people, I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to kind of downplay it. I've got to devalue it. I've got to, I've got to deny it. I've got to just, I've got to kind of put it away, polish it up, give it a pet name. And, and God says, no, embrace your sin if you want to embrace me. Own it. And this is different from every other religion. Every other religion teaches this. It teaches that the good are in and the bad are out. Which really sucks because it's really easy to be bad. But it teaches that the good are in and the bad are out. But Christianity teaches the humble are in and the proud are out. The humble are in and the proud are out. It's those that see I'm weak, it's not the strong. It's those that see I need somebody, I'm, I'm absolutely dependent on you, that I'm a moral failure. That I'm a wretched sinner. That I'm worse than I think I am. It's, it's those people that get access to God. The path to God is not through goodness. It's not be a good person and then God brings you into his family. Be a good person. That's what will bring you relationship with God. That's the lie that we keep believing, that we keep telling ourselves, even if theologically you would say, I don't believe that. That's where we keep going. So we polish and we clean up and we make it pretty and we, we do that with other people and all of that is a lie. God says, the path to me, if you want this beautiful joy of enjoying relationship with me, embrace the sin to embrace me. And by embrace, I'm not saying go sin. I'm saying you you come to a place of yes, that is true. Yes, that's what I've done. Yes, I'm that bad. Yes, and through then we get God. Because Jesus doesn't forgive mistakes. He doesn't forgive accidents. He forgives sin. Jesus forgives sin. But when we try to come and say, hey God, I'm just not that bad, then we don't really need him. To the degree that you see the depth of your sin is to the degree that you will see the depth of his love, which is to the degree that you will feel joy. It's only when you can come to a place of saying, I'm in utter need and if, if you're not a Christian, if, if this isn't what you know, if this isn't what you believe, then, then you've got to see this. That Christianity isn't this religion for the good people. It's not this, hey, come one, come all that are good. If you're good, come on in. No, it's for people that say, I need, I need God. Sometimes Christianity is called crutch. Well, yes, it is. Because we need God. And it's only the proud that are out. It's the humble that are in. So, that's the crux of the matter. How do we actually confess then? How do we actually confess? How do we actually do that? <clears throat> well, this is, what, this is how you confess, okay? First, it's honestly. I'll give you four ways to confess. First, honestly. Many times, if we even get to a place where we'll confess to God... This is true on a personal level as well, but if to confess with God, this is how often we begin. God, I do love you. God, I do want to follow you. God, I do trust you. God, I, I do, I do uh, believe these things. God, I, I do care about you. God, I, I do know, and we reassert our goodness. Instead of saying, God, I don't love you, I don't trust you, I don't care about you, I don't believe you care about me, I don't believe these truths, we come reasserting our goodness, or we reassert our our record. God, this isn't who I am. I've never done this before. God, you know this is way out of character for me. God, I'm not like this. We reassert our record. Or we reassert our effort, and we pray, God, help me to change. God, help me to be different. God, help me to do this the right way. God, help me to, and we start confession with reasserting our goodness, our effort, or our record instead of honestly saying, God, I don't even love you. Maybe letting it sink in or saying, God, I don't even want to talk with you actually. I don't, I don't even want to confess to you right now. And that's maybe just, the, maybe that's where you just have to even start. I mean, it's just saying god i don't even want to have this conversation with you, but the pastor said I had to start there, just tell him that, so we confess honestly and vertically, which by that I mean to God don't say things like this it's okay to say things like this, but you need to start here many times we'll skip to god i 'm sorry i hurt'm sorry I hurt my wife i'm sorry I let those people down i'm sorry i and we, we it's it's all our relationships instead of, instead of what that means about God. In the Bible, David says, God, I've sinned against you and you alone. And he's talking about having adultery and killing someone. But he's saying, God, I've sinned against you and you alone. Really, David? What about the guy you killed? What about the guy's wife you slept with? But he says, I've sinned against you and you alone. Because all of our sin is first vertical. So when we confess to God, start there. Honestly, vertically regularly, which means this. If you haven't talked to God like this, this is what this means. It means that you need to spend some time doing this tonight or this week. And that's hours. I'm not talking a couple quick throw-ups to God. I'm talking hours. talking hours. But when you do that, then this needs to become a pattern in your life where, yeah, then it is a minute here, a minute there. It's a regular pattern. But if you haven't actually... Talked with God in this way, man. This is gonna take a while. Actually, spend some time and do this and talk with. I mean, what what if what if you had never had a really serious conversation with your spouse or with a close friend or and there was all this interpersonal conflict? That's gonna take a while to hash that out. So regularly though, let it become a habit. And then fourth is horizontally, which is talking about those interpersonal relationships, because sometimes Sometimes, it's rare, but sometimes we will we'll, we'll do it vertically. We'll confess to God. But if we sinned against somebody else and we don't want to talk to them about it, we skip that. Like, okay, me and God are good. I, I did it honestly, I talked with God. I, I did it vertically and I'll start doing it regularly. But they don't need to know about this. Or uh, I don't need to really tell them that. Because that's where you really suck up the pride. But let me just tell you this, you haven't actually talked with God honestly if you're not ready to do it horizontally, okay? Sometimes we do it the other way, by the way. Sometimes you'll go confess to another person but won't talk to God about that. I think that's more often. But this is really the process. We speak to God honestly, we talk with him about him and us, and we do that regularly and we confess our sins to people that we've sinned against even if it was a decade ago. So that's how we confess. And, um, whoops. I'm not, I, I know sometimes if you're hearing this, you can be like, "Wow, well, you just wanted me to beat myself up. This is just a self-loathing, self-hating. It's not, okay? It's honesty. It's not about go beat yourself up. That's not the point of it. The point isn't, hey, go go beat yourself up. The point is, you can be honest with yourself because God sent his son Jesus and he was beat up for you. So you can be honest. You can own it honestly. The point isn't to stay in this place of some sort of self-loathing. That's actually just another coping mechanism to just say, oh, I'm so bad, I'm so horrible, I'm so... And we still skip talking with God. We still skip the confession. We still skip the change and the repentance because, oh, we made ourselves feel so bad about it. The point isn't to just beat yourself up. The point is to come and see honestly the way God sees you. And to, then through that, you're able to embrace him. Okay, the last one that John says is this. That we deny. That we deny our sin. And here John teaches. First he taught that sin is kind of an outlook, a whole worldview called darkness. Then it's this condition called sin. And then here it's sin, duh. It's particular actions. And sometimes people just say, I have not sinned. Whether that's ever, like, no, I've never sinned. Or in a particular instance, that wasn't sin. Sometimes you hear this. I remember talking with this gal a few years back. Sometimes you hear this in people's testimonies of how they talk about God's um, work in their life or how, he, or how they became a Christian. And, and she, she was saying, yeah I, I uh you know I became a christian I don't know a year ago or something like that and i w- we were talking in the book of Romans where it says that we're all enemies of God, and she said, no I'm not an enemy of God, and I was never an enemy of god i just i just didn't know him but I was not an enemy of God, which is a way of saying no I, I wasn't sinful I, I have not sinned I was just kind of ignorant i'm not an enemy i'm not I'm not a sinner that needs saving i'm just a a human that needs to meet this guy called God. Or sometimes even when we tell about becoming a Christian, it'll be more like this. It'll be, man, I, I grew up in the church my whole life and I've always been a Christian. No one has always been a Christian. If you look at your life and you don't know when you actually became a Christian, I'm not saying you have to know date and time, but if there wasn't a change of recognizing I'm a sinner that needs saving, maybe that'll give you some hints into your life of why it is how it is. But that the Bible teaches we're sinners that need saving, not just, not just people that need to live better. Or sometimes we talk about our life in this way, that uh, I didn't have God and I had a God-shaped hole in my heart. And, and uh, then I met God and he's filled all my needs and it's great. And it's more this therapy thing where I've got needs and God's met them, but it's still not. I'm a sinner that needs saving. And we say, I have not, I have not sinned. Whether that's looking at the whole course of your life or just particular, particular actions. But God says, all have sinned. So what's God's response to this one? He's an advocate. And this is really a response to that one, but it's also the response to, to the whole thing. It's kind of the summary of, of all that we've talked about. This is the summary of it. And here's, here's what this word is. John teaches here that, that we are so unworthy and so messed up and the depth of our sin goes much deeper than we think that we cannot even approach God. That we need somebody else to talk to God on our behalf. That we're so twisted that we can't even enter into God's presence. We need somebody else to talk to him for us. And an advocate is someone that's a substitute. It's somebody, think of a lawyer. Okay, that's kind of the most common image. That whatever they gain, you gain. Whatever they lose, you lose. So I don't know if you've ever had a lawyer before, but if you have a lawyer and they lose your case, you don't still get the benefits. You can't say, well, I didn't lose the case. It was my crummy lawyer. I I didn't lose. Or vice versa, If, if you win the case... The judge can't throw you in jail and say, well, yeah, your lawyer lawyer won, but you you didn't win. They're a substitute, that they're they're a proxy. That's what an advocate is. An advocate is somebody that speaks on our behalf. And what John says here is that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And this is what this means. God does not just forgive sin. God does not just forgive sin. He doesn't just look at sin and go, sure, I'll forgive you. You want forgiveness? Forgiveness. You want forgiveness? Forgiveness. God doesn't do that. God does not just forgive sin. I remember talking to this guy a few years back who was a horrible guy. He had been abusive to women. He had been violent to people to the point of very, very violent to people. He was currently in an abusive relationship with a woman, and he said this. He said, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but God's going to forgive me. Why do you think that, I asked him. Why do you think God's going to forgive you? I just know he is. I just have faith. That sounds holy, doesn't it? I just have faith. I told him, you're wrong, actually. God's not going to forgive you. Because God does not just forgive sin. God is just. And so what it says here is that we have an advocate that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins which means this. I know that's a a word we don't use all the time. We don't just say, hey, have you propitiated lately? I mean, we we don't say that, okay? But what that means is that God has wrath against sin. God has wrath against sin. But that Jesus came because he's both God and man. He can do this. I couldn't do this for you, and you couldn't do this for me. But Jesus comes and he stands in the way of the wrath of God on the cross. And he takes all of the wrath that we should have gotten. For I mean, I'm, I'm talk, we're talking tonight. Man, the sin is deeper than you think it is. It, you're worse than you think you are. And yet, Jesus is the propitiation. He averts the wrath of God. He, he takes the bullet on the cross. All of it. All of it. All of it. Remember that. All of it. Don't think of this abstractly. Think about your life. All of it. He takes that from you. And then what that means is that as he goes before the Father, because he came to new life now, he paid that penalty and he resurrects. And when he goes before the Father, it doesn't say Jesus the merciful. It doesn't say that Jesus is before God going, hey, come on, you're a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. Caleb's a nice guy. Can't we work something out here? He doesn't come before the Father and say, look, he's probably not going to do this again. Hey, we're probably good, right? Right? Come on, God, Broncos tickets, something. Like, it's not Jesus the merciful. It's not Jesus the persuader. He's not some smooth move, Matlock, criminal criminal lawyer. I don't know why that reference back from way long. No one even knows that is. I don't know why that came to my mind. But he's not Jesus the persuader. He's Jesus the righteous. He's Jesus the righteous. He's not begging God for forgiveness for you. He's an advocate that comes before you and says, I live the life that you should have lived. I live the life you should have lived, a sinless, perfect life. I live the life you should have lived, and I died the death that you should have died. And so now I stand before God as Jesus Christ, the righteous, that on your behalf, you you get what I get. So when God looks at you now, the Bible teaches elsewhere, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. There's none. There's none. There's no judgment left for you. There's no, am I okay with God? That if Jesus has become your substitute, you get what he gets, which is perfect relationship with the Father. This isn't Jesus forgives you, now you better go do a better job. Jesus died for your sin over here, but now you better go live a good life. It says we have an advocate with the Father who's standing before the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who says my life is your life. You get what I get. That's amazing. See, unless you realize the depth of your sin, you will not see the depth of his love. Unless you see the depth of the wickedness in your heart, if unless you stop trying to polish it all up, then you won't see how beautiful it is that Jesus Christ is the propitiation, the wrath averting, gracious God. You won't see that. You'll be kind of a nice guy. If you don't, let me let me tell you this: if you don't enjoy your relationship with God, John says it's because you don't see the depth of your sin. You're self-deceived, you lie to yourself, and you make claims. If you don't look at God and go, man, wow, then you don't see the depth of your sin. That's the place to start. Confession, talking with God, and then John says this last thing. He says he's the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world, which means this. Don't hoard this beautiful gift. Don't hoard this beautiful gift. This isn't just for you to go, God's so great. This is so cool. I'm going to hug myself. It's God wants more and more people to know his love, his grace. He wants more and more people to experience it. For the whole world, for all of Denver, for all of your neighborhoods, for all of your places of work, for all of your families, for all of your marriages, for all of it, God wants the whole world to know this. Every person in your life, God wants to know this love, this grace, this joy. And to the degree, to the degree that you get this, is to the degree that you will experience joy. To the degree that you embrace your sin, is to the degree that you'll be able to embrace God. To the degree that you understand that only people that get fellowship with God are sinners, is to the degree you'll experience joy in your life. And it's okay if you're not there yet. Press into that. Do it. John says, confess, spend time talking with him and seeing who he is in response to who you are. And that's what we do in communion. Every week we take communion and we remember that Jesus shed his blood, his purifying blood for our sins. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I've done for you. Remember that you're worse than you think you are, but I'm better than you think I am. You're worse than you think you are, but my love is greater than you think it is. Remember that. As you take a piece of bread and you dip it in wine or juice, depending on your conscience, remember that Jesus' body was broken for you, that his blood was shed for you to cleanse you from all sin, to purify you from all righteousness, to bring you into relationship with himself. Remember that. That's what we do here. And at the same time, we'll take off, we'll receive our offering. And that's just something we do as an act of worship to continue to, to do what John says, to let the whole world know who Jesus is. And if you're not a Christian, please don't give. We want you to meet Jesus and take communion then for the first time. I don't want your money. We want you to know Jesus. Okay? So I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for us and pray for our offering. God, I thank you. Thank you that you love us way more than we even can fathom. I pray that you would help all of our hearts to come to a place of, of depth, come to a place of clarity about...